the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, sixth chapter, verse one, in the Word of the Lord tonight. <clears throat> Going through the Gospel of John for several weeks now. John is proving to us that Jesus Christ was God come in the flesh. And so he is going to give us seven signs or miracles and seven teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of John to prove that he is God come in the flesh. Okay? So John chapter 6 verse 1, if you have it, say praise the Lord. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and the great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down now. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed the disciples, and the disciples of them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. And Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. He departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when evening was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty and thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. And he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at land, whither they went. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one wherein two his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they, had, they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. When they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, whence camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. 
Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And I'll stop reading there. Father, we come before you tonight. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word tonight. We ask your will to be done in this service. Speak in and through us and to us, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We put our confidence and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. John, in the sixth chapter, is going to go very quickly over two signs or two miracles that took place. Both of them are miracles over nature, over natural things. After he talks about the two miracles that Jesus does, he spends most of his time showing you what Jesus said. So he very quickly goes over the miracles. So that the focus is not on the miracles, but the focus is upon the word of the Lord. And John is going to show us what Jesus said, what the people said who heard Jesus speaking, and what kind of response the people gave Jesus when they heard him talk. So let me say that again. John's going to show you what Jesus said, what the people said in relationship to what Jesus said, and also what was their response to what Jesus said. But the focus, again, will be not be upon miracles, but it will be upon the words of the Lord. So if you look at verse 1, I've already read it to you, but let's break it down for you. Chapter 6, the Bible tells us, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is, is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, in the fifth chapter, we saw Jesus in Jerusalem. He healed the man there at the pool of Bethesda. And so now time has come and gone, because in the fifth chapter, it was during Passover that he worked that miracle, that third miracle of healing that man at the pool of Bethesda. Now we jump all the way to another Passover. So it's been about six months to another year that time has elapsed in between the fifth chapter and the sixth chapter. Are y'all with me so far? So we come to another Passover here. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus at this point is in the Galilee at the time of the Passover, okay? And the scripture tells us he's near the Sea of Tiberias. Now, let me go over here and I'll show you on the map where Tiberias is. It may be a little bit difficult for you to see the map, but I'm going to do my best tonight just so you'll have a visual. Okay, this is the Sea of Galilee right here. Okay? Okay, that body of water right there. That's also called the Sea of Tiberias. Now, Tiberias is right here. Tiberias is called Tiberias because Herod built the city, was in process of building the city in honor of Tiberius Caesar. 
Okay? So this city is being built by Herod. Now, there's Tiberias. Then you go up, there's the Gennesaret at the top. And then right, just right over to the side is Capernaum. So anyway, it's hard to see it. But Tiberias, the Gennesaret, and Capernaum. Okay? If I catch that, at least what you could. I'll make reference to that in just a moment. Basically, the best that I can tell is that Jesus is going to feed the 5,000 in the area of Tiberias. So it's near the Sea of Galilee. Now, the city of Tiberias, as I said, was built by Herod in honor of Tiberius Caesar. That city was built on a cemetery. So this city was looked at as an unclean place by the Jews. Okay, now later it will become the capital of Judaism on, in various ways, but for the most part right now, it's looked at as a place that is unclean because it's built on a cemetery. Amen? And Herod's building this city on, uh, in honor of Tiberius. Now, let me give you a little history here. There's about 20,000 workers that are working on the city of Tiberias that's underneath Herod. Okay? They're still working on the city at this time. There is a flat land or a flat place over near Tiberias where they dried fish. So they would catch these fish okay, out of the Sea of Galilee and they'd place all these fish on this flat-like rock uh, that was there and that rock was surrounded by green pastures. Okay? This fish that was dried there on that plateau out of the Sea of Galilee went to feed the 20,000 workers that worked 24 hours a day on the city of Tiberias. It also went to feed the Roman legions, the armies of Rome. And it was literally, this food went all the way to the eastern part of the Roman Empire to feed the military. And so because of this, you've got all these thousands of fish that would be laid out on top of this plateau and these 20,000 workers eating this fish as well as the military that's there. And because it's so important, this food is so important, that Rome set up a 100 soldiers to guard this area to keep anybody from going into that area without permission. If you walked into this area without permission, you could be put to death because it was so important as a, as a food supply, right? So Jesus walks into that very area that it wasn't permissible for him to go into, you understand? Which means he must have got permission. And for him to get permission from the Roman uh, soldiers and empire to go into this territory tells you something about Jesus' influence, Okay? Now, he's not going to use all those fish that are being dried there in that area. He's not going to use them, okay, as far as taking all those multitudes of fish. He's going to take a part, okay, a few fish and, a, and some loaves. He's going to break it and divide it. But he's not going to take of all that multitude of thousands of fishes that are drying there. What you also need to realize historically is that Herod, not only did he have all these fish laid out on the ground here drying, but he brought huge amounts of bread and he stored huge amounts of bread in these like canopy structures to feed the 20,000 laborers and to feed the Roman soldiers. So there's bread and there's fish in the background of this story, okay? You get it so far? 
And I believe where this miracle is going to take place is in that area of Tiberias. Okay? Depending on how you study this and who you read and who you study, they will tell you, some people say it's up at Bethesda, okay, Bethesda up there. But by the Word of God, if I look at the Word of God, it says it took place uh, near Tiberias. Look at verse 23 of chapter 6. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat the bread after that the Lord had given thanks. So I believe by that word that what we have here is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 took place at Tiberias. You with me so far? Now that's really important because you're going to see some miracles here that's going to take place. Now Jesus, He not only fed the 5,000, but later He also will feed 4,000. And you're going to see Him walking on the water in this chapter, but this is not the only time He walked on the water. Okay? In connection to the feeding of the 5,000, within two days He walked on the water twice. Okay? So I'm going to give you a little background here and I'm going to try to bring this uh, clarity to you as we look at the Word of the Lord. Okay, Matthew 14 also is going to give you the background of the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water. Okay? And then John chapter 6 is the, is six is the second record of Him walking on the water. Alright, y'all with me so far? Now, the Bible tells us that in verse 1, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is this, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed Him because they saw His miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Why did they follow him? Right. Not because they wanted to obey him. Not because they wanted to believe in him. The reason why all of these multitudes are following him is because they saw the miracles that he did. They have no intention, no desire of obeying the Lord, nor in following the Lord. Okay? Now hold on to that right there. And so we got this huge multitude that has come because of the miracles that Jesus has done. In verse 3, what does Jesus do? He went up into a mountain and there He sat with His disciples. Now this mountain, it says He went up into a mountain. It is a mountain, a particular mountain. It is believed that this is the Mount of the Attitudes. That this is the mountain where Jesus gave the Beatitudes, okay? So what you have here is a contrast with Mount Sinai, Moses and Mount Sinai. Okay? Moses and Mount Sinai and Jesus and Mount the Mount of Beatitudes. You with me so far? Are you with me so far? Okay, you've got to catch this. This is very important. What you're also going to see in this passage is Jesus is going to show you a second exodus. Reference is going to be made to a Passover. Reference is going to be made to manna from heaven in the days of Moses. So all of this is a contrast, right, with the days of Moses. It's going to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover. You with me? That Jesus is bringing the true exodus for His people. All right, just hold on to that because it's very important for us to get this. So here we have all this multitude. Jesus goes up in this mountain. It's believed to be the mount that He taught the Beatitudes in. And at that particular mountain, the Bible says in verse 4, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. So now we have the background of this event is Passover. Correct? Who was involved with Passover? Who was the leader? Moses was the leader that brought Israel out of the land of Egypt during when? Passover. And it was called a Exodus. 
and Exodus, right? Okay, you, you got to catch this. It's very important because there's parallels here. He's giving you these backdrops of this mountain. He's giving you the feast backdrop, all for a reason. Okay, the Exodus backdrop. It's all in the background of what Jesus is going to do here in this story. Okay, it's very, very powerful. Now, the Bible says he goes up in that mountain, and the scripture says he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he sat, saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? Correct? So he's asking Philip for information. He's asking Philip for advice. This is the first time you're going to find in the New Testament Gospels where Jesus is asking anybody for any advice. You with me so far? But he's not asking Philip, you know, look at it. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great come to come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Give me some advice here. Where are we going to get all where are we going to get bread to feed all these people? Well, knowing the background that Herod has stockpiled bread in canopies in that area. You know, if they were going to go by the flesh, they say, Well, let's get it from Herod. Okay. Where are we going to get bread? Jesus is asking the question of one of his disciples, correct? So he's seeking advice from one of his disciples. First time this has ever happened. Now, he's not asking Philip this question because he doesn't know what he's going to do. He's asking Philip this question to put Philip to the test. Because the Bible says he knew what he would do. Now, I could preach a message on that right there, that statement alone. He knew what he would do. So he's not asking this question because he doesn't know what he's going to do. He's not asking this question, you know, even though he's asking it for advice, he already knows what he's going to do. He's asking Philip this because he's putting Philip to the test. Okay? So the Bible goes on and tells us the response of Philip. Verse 6. And this he said to prove him or test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That's about eight months worth of wages. Okay? A penny is one day's wages. So he said 200 penny worth or 200 denarii is not enough, not sufficient to feed this multitude because there's 5,000 men here. Now where did these 5,000 men come from? They were on a work break because there were 20,000 laborers working over there in Tiberias. So five, and they were in shifts and they worked 24 hours a day. So this 5,000 men that are there are laborers on that city called Tiberias under Herod. Oh, wow. Now the Bible doesn't tell us there's women and children here. It just tells us there's 5,000 men. And I'm not going to speculate and I'm not going to say, okay, let's take the 5,000 men, let's add one woman to them and add two children to them and come up with 15,000 people. I don't need to do that. Okay? I guess it's all right if you want to preach it that way. Say there's 5,000 men, so there must have been 5,000 more women and then two more children. How many, how many, is that 20,000? 20,000, I didn't add right. Yeah. If you want to build it up like that, fine. But I don't have to do that. Okay? 
I know there were 20,000 men that were working there by history. 5,000 of them on a shift. They were there on a shift on a break. Okay? And so 5,000 of them are there. How are we going to feed 5,000 men? That's basically what Jesus is asking. 5,000 men. We're not just going to send them away. We're going to feed them. So he's going to test one of his disciples. What if Jesus asked you that question? Say there were 5,000 people, you know, and uh, Jesus walked up to you and said, how are we going to feed these 5,000 people? What would you tell them? Because the question is not just to Philip. The question is to you. What kind of faith do you have? You have... He's going to, he said, he's putting Philip to the test. And he's putting you in, in this story, he's putting you and I to the test. What kind of faith do we have? Do we have enough faith to feed the 5,000 men that are there? Do you even have enough faith to pay your bills for next week? Your own bills. Let's get honest. And we say, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, okay, right, right. Anyway, Lord, help me tonight. 5,000 men. And the Bible says, Jesus says, all right, have them all sit down, put them in order, because God is a God of order. Okay? And God is the only one who can multiply bread. God is the only one that can take bread and create bread. Take a piece of bread and create more bread. Okay? So this miracle is going to prove that Jesus is God. Because only God can create bread. Okay? So he's going to put Philip to the test. He's putting you to the test tonight. He's putting me to the test tonight. When shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him for himself. Knew what he would do. He already knows what he's going to do. He already knows. Okay? Because he's God. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. That's 200 days worth of wages. So we were to gather 200 days worth of wages, about eight months, okay? Seven months. It would not be enough to feed this great multitude, okay? Are y'all here? So he's the calculator. He's the one, he's the disciple that's cold and calculated. He's the one that looks at the crowd, looks at the numbers, and says, okay, can't do it. I'm telling you, the test is for you, not just for him. There's so many of you, all you, you live by is what you see in the natural. You bring your little calculators out. No faith. Zero. And God wants to, listen, He's going to test you in the area of faith. You can't always bring out your little calculator and look at the natural and determine the outcome of something by natural. You have to be a man and a woman of faith and you have to believe that God can work a miracle and He can multiply. I got some calculators in here tonight. I got some disciples in the church. You're cold calculators, cold hard facts. That's just the way it is. You don't see God as a miracle worker. That this is just the way it is. You know, da 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 da. 
Right? Say amen. But this man is going to learn that if you want something multiplied, put it in the hands of God. Okay? So not only is this message going to test all of us tonight to determine what kind of faith we have, okay? But it's also going to show us what happens when you put something in the hands of God. You see, if you want your money multiplied, put it in the hands of God. Y'all with me tonight? If you want to be blessed in your life, serve the Lord. If you'll put your, if you'll put your life in His hands, if you'll put your money in His hands, if you'll serve Him faithfully, God will multiply to you what you put in His hands. But if you don't put it in His hands, He can't multiply it to you. That's why some of you right now are doing so well is because you're people of faith. You don't just look at a calculator. You walk by faith. And when the Spirit of God moves on you, you move with the Spirit. And as a result of that, because you're taking your money and you're taking your time and you're taking your effort and you're taking your life and you're putting it in the hands of God, God is multiplying in your life supernatural abundance. And my intention tonight is not to preach a prosperity gospel. My intention is to tell you a law in the kingdom that anything you put in the hands of God is going to be multiplied. If you want it multiplied, you got to put it in the hands of God. And when you put it in the hands of God and you bring God into the equation, see, don't just look at the numbers you're facing and don't just look at what you have. Look at God. Bring God. If you got a calculator... Don't just calculate the 5,000 and don't just calculate, you know, the five loaves and two fishes. Calculate God. Bring God into the equation. If you don't bring God in the equation, you dishonor God. You dishonor Him. Okay? And I don't want to dishonor God. I want to bring God in the equations of my life. If I want to bring a calculator, it's okay. Okay, got 5,000 people, got five loaves, two fishes. All right, it's all right to calculate that, but you forgot to equate God into it. You forgot to put God in the equation. Say, God, oh, Jesus, you can do anything. So you and I tonight are being tested. We're being tested. How much faith do we got? Or are we the cold calculating kind of people? Or are we going to put God in the equation and believe that God's going to work a miracle? And if I'll serve Him faithfully, I'll give Him my life, I'll give Him everything I got, God will take my life and He'll bless it and He'll multiply it. I would not want to live without God. I need Jesus Christ in my life. These 5,000 men needed Jesus Christ that day. They needed a miracle. They needed to be fed. And Jesus is the one that's going to do it. I will tell you, and I'll be honest with you, if you try to live without putting your life and your substance in the hands of God, how foolish that is. Well, if you'll put it all in the hands of God, watch God work a miracle. So Philip, cold and calculated, he says, you know, what is even 200 uh, penny worth, denarii worth with so many people? We could get seven months worth of income here. We can't feed all these people. You know, that's his conclusion, right? Oh, yeah. Don't get too hard on Philip. We, we can't be too hard on Philip. Say God's going to test him. Now say God's testing me. 
So you don't like that, do you? His conclusion is, we don't have enough money to buy the food. Here comes Andrew. This is, this is uh, Peter's brother, right? Andrew? Faithful Andrew. Praise the Lord. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, said unto him, you know, you kind of have to help Philip out. You know, Philip's one of them disciples. He's cold and calculated. we got him in a church here. Pastor, we can't, this is why we can't do it. We don't have... I don't ever go by that. Never. I never have and I never will. Okay? I just don't do it. If God tells me to do it, I do it. I don't care what I'm looking at. And God always, He's always there supporting. He's always backing it up. There's not one time I can ever tell you that God ever told us to do something to the church that God didn't take care of it. Give the Lord praise in the house. And not only this church, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, there's nothing that God's ever told me to do personally that didn't back it up. But he's gonna he's gonna test us to see if we've got faith. Well, let's see. I gotta pay my bill here. Yeah. Okay. Praise the Lord. Amen. So Andrew comes along. He's got to help him out a little bit. Thank God for Andrews in the church that helped cold calculating Phillips. And Andrew doesn't have to be a man. Andrew can be a woman in this case. I got some sisters in this church, man. They're, people, they're, they're, they're women of faith. And, and they got cold, hard, calculating men as husbands. Where's your faith? Yeah, don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Here comes Andrew. He's going to help him out. Verse 9. Andrew says, there is a lad here which have five barley loaves and two small fish. Five barley loaves and two small fish. Did you hear that? Five barley loaves and two small fish. That won't even feed the disciples. That won't even feed the twelve disciples. He got five thousand out there. Five loaves and the point is, not just two fish, two small fish. And this little lad, in case you don't know it, is known as a baker boy. He's a baker boy. That means he was used to distribute the bread and the fish that dried there on the plateau and the bread that Herod brought there for the laborers and the army. This baker boy was used to distribute the bread and the fish to the workforce and the soldiers. So he's a baker boy. And he happens to have two fishes and they're small. They're like sardines. Five barley loaves and two small fishes, right? So Andrew's stepping up to the plate. Hey, I found somebody. Five loaves and two small fishes. I found a little boy with his lunch pail. He's got his paper sack lunch with him. You see? But see, Andrew's already starting to step up by faith because he believes that a little boy would have sacked lunch in the hands of God. See, Andrew's already got a glimpse of something that Philip didn't have a glimpse of. Right? Wow. But he doesn't have it all together. 
Because he says, but what are they among so many? Now I think when he said five loaves and two little fishes, I think that he's, Lord, I know you can work a miracle. I know you can do something with this, but I'm not telling you what to do. But what are these among so many? Five loaves and two fishes. A little boy with his little sack lunch. Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Now notice, they didn't go get any of the dried fish that was laid out on the plateau. They didn't go get any of the bread that was in the canopies that Herod had stockpiled for the laborers or the soldiers. Five loaves and two fishes, small fishes. The Bible says that Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks. Okay, watch this. Those five loaves, he took those loaves and he blessed God. Watch this. He didn't bless the food. When we sit down at a table and we're going to eat, we bless the food. Lord, we bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. Thank you for this food you have provided for us, Lord. We bless this food. He didn't bless the food. He blessed God. He blessed God. The one who gives it. Amen? So I'm not going to bless my food. I'm going to bless the God who gave the food. Now, so he takes those loaves. When he given thanks, he distributed it to the disciples. So it goes from his hands. He's doing a work of creation. It's a miracle of creation. He's taking that five loaves and he's creating bread. This bread is coming out of his hands. Only God can create. So again, John is showing you that Jesus is God come in the flesh. He's the same creator that made the heavens and the earth. He's the same one on the third day that said, let the herbs come forth. Let the grass come forth. Let the fruit trees produce. And the third day, He said that. This same God that said that way back on the third day is the God that's right there working and creating bread. Now watch this. He bypassed the process of seed time and harvest. He bypassed the process of putting the seed in the ground, making the, the barley grow, taking the barley from the field, grinding the barley in the field, and then, you know what I'm saying, and making a loaf of bread and then cooking the bread. He bypassed all of that seed time and harvest and all of that process and preparation process, and He created not just the seed, He created the bread, which is the finished work. You see, the third day, if you look at it, I don't have time tonight to look at it with you, but if you look at the third day, look at what God did. He had seed time and harvest. He talked about, you know, the grass of the field being uh, coming forth. These, the provisions of God were there, the fruit trees, all of that. But here He bypasses seed time and harvest and goes straight to the finished product. So He is creating bread from His hands. Say praise the Lord. From His hands, He gives it to His disciples. Because he wants the disciples involved in passing out the bread. Okay, it's not just a picture of a physical bread being distributed, it has to do with the Word of God. Okay, so God gives the bread or the Word of God to the man of God, the man of God gives it to the people, and they eat. Okay, say praise the Lord. You'll see that in just a minute. Wow. And the disciples, they just keep 
passing out the bread. See, the little baker boy that's standing there, the one that's normally involved in distributing this, he's just standing there watching the miracle. So from the hands of God to His disciples and from the disciples' hands to the people. That's the way God works. And I'm sure it's blowing their mind. Okay, I mean, the bread just keeps multiplying. And they keep passing out bread. And they fed 5,000 people. 5,000 people. 5,000 men. Maybe there was women and children. I don't know. But there were 5,000 men there that God created bread, gave it to the disciples. They took created bread and gave it to the people. Now, He's doing this for a reason. He's doing this not just so they can get their belly full. He's doing this to set up their understanding. They need the Word of God. They need the living Word. He's setting it up for a teaching, right? Say praise the Lord. Okay, so you want something multiplied, you put it in the hands of God. And watch what God will do with the little that you have. Little as much if God is in it. Come on. And the more that you give to God of yourself, your life, your finance, your time, would you be surprised to find out that the more time you give to God, the more time you get? The more time you have? Would you be surprised the more finances you give to God, the more finance you find out that you have? The more service you give to God, come on somebody, the more time you have to serve. But if you hold on to your finances, you hold on to your time, say, I ain't got time for God. I don't have time to teach Bible studies. I don't have time to serve. I don't have time to give. I can't give because I can't afford to. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to run out of finance. You're going to run out of time. You're going to run out of the ability to serve. But when you put service, yourself, and your time, and your money in the hands of God, you will end up having more time, more money, and hallelujah to the Lamb. It just works that way. It just works that way in the kingdom of God. We said, I don't have time. Really? Start serving the Lord and watch what happens. You will have more time. And there's only 24 hours in a day. But God takes a natural thing and a natural thing, He multiplies it. Even time that you put in His hand, you'll find out that you have more time. The stingier you are with your time, the less time you're going to have. The stingier you are with your money, the less money you're going to have. The stingier you are with your service, the less service you're going to have. Listen to me, but if you give it to God, you're going to find out more time. You're going to have more time. You're going to have more money. What are you saying, Pastor? Let me tell you something. God can work in your life where you're working 60 hours a week. If you put it in His hands, He can trim it down and you work 30 hours a week. And make the same amount of money. Hallelujah to the Lamb. But you have to learn to put it in God's hands. If you do, God will multiply it to you. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And some of you are so miserable tonight because you are a Scrooge with your time, with your service, with your giving. It's all about you. You hold on to everything you've got. Not, not the majority of you. Just one or two tonight. And because of that, you are miserable. Give yourself to God unreservedly. Put it in the hands of God and God will make sure you have more time than you need. More money than you need. Hallelujah to the Lamb. 
Get your calculators out. It's all right to estimate what is going to be needed. But when you estimate what is been, what is going to be needed, then put it in the hands of God and learn to walk by faith. Because everything that you put in the hands of God, it will be multiplied back to you. Give God praise in this house tonight. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Some of you probably be good if you just got rid of your calculators because your calculators are nothing but creators for your senses to not believe God. Oh, hallelujah. There was a time when some of you were liberal in your giving. You couldn't give enough. You couldn't serve enough. You couldn't give enough time to God. And you were blessed. And you were happy. Now, with time, you started pulling back. And when you started pulling back, you kind of noticed that things started changing for you. You don't have the blessing like you used to. Now, 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 now. Tonight, 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 you need to get this principle again. How? Oh, God is good. I said God is good. I was taught, uh, when I was uh, coming up in church, I was taught by uh, my leadership uh, that you do not bring your tithe on what you make. You bring your tithe on what you want to make. Hallelujah. That's the way I was taught. And I'm not after your money. I'm trying to help you. I said, I'm trying to help you tonight. You will be surprised. It's going to flow from all directions. God will bless you with abundance. He will create a Passover feast in your life. A feast speaks of super abundance. It's not just sitting down and eating a little bit. A feast is a super abundant meal. He's come to fulfill the Passover here. Hallelujah to the Lamb. How many of you want uh, multiplication in your life? Then bring it and put it in the hands of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Oh yeah, now don't, I'm gonna let that sink in just a little bit because you gotta think about what I just said. Holly, we cannot just go by our senses. We can't just look at things and calculate it. We gotta say, okay, God, I gotta bring you in this equation. Lord, what do you want me to do? Tell me what to do. I need multiplication. I need blessing here. I can't meet the needs that I'm facing. The needs are bigger than what I got to take care of the need. I can't meet the need, God. Help me, God. Oh, Jesus, I thank you. I don't have sufficient supply to meet this need, God. How do I create a multiplication? And God will show you how. Listen, if you can't meet the need, you might as well put it in the hands of God and watch God work a miracle. You've got a 5,000 people need and all you can take care of is one or two people in a sack lunch, you can't take care of the 5,000. So you might as well put what you got in the hands of God and watch what God's going to do. Give the Lord praise in the house tonight. Ooh, glory to God. Now you know that this was really getting their attention. All this bread coming to them. They're excited about this. This bread program. Wow. Free bread. Woo. Whoa. Thank you, Jesus, for the free bread. Amen. God is creating it. Now watch this. Watch this. Are y'all here tonight? 
I want to show you something here. There are no demands in the miracle. No demands from the people in the miracle. What he does is he takes five loaves and two fishes that a little boy has. He takes it. He begins to multiply it. He gives it to the disciples. But there's really no demands other than saying, set down in order. Because God is a God of order. He is not a God of confusion. So if you want a miracle to take place, you've got to get in the order of God. And you've got to put it in the hands of God so it can be multiplied, right? Other than that, there is no demand in the miracles of God. The demands are located in His Word. Now hold, hold on to that right there. Because these people right here, they love the bread program. They love getting this free bread. And there's no requirements or no demands from Jesus Christ in the miracles. That's why people love miracle services. They'll line up out the street. You're gonna, we're gonna have a miracle service. You're gonna have them lined out the street for, for the miracle service, you know. Are y'all here tonight? But watch this. Why do they do that? Because there's no demands in a miracle. And they'll tell you, they'll come up, and as long as the miracles or the bread program is in place, uh, as long as you're taking care of them physically, they'll keep coming to church. And they will tell you, I'm with you, Pastor, all the way to the end. I will tell you how far they are really with you. It's when the demands of Jesus Christ are laid on them. And the demands of Jesus Christ are in what He says. That's why John will quickly go over the miracles and spend about two-thirds of his time on what Jesus says, not the miracle. Because these people are not really with Jesus. They're there for the miracle. They're there for the bread. But they're not really with Jesus. And as soon as He starts laying His demands on them, that's when they leave Him. Did you hear what I said? So somebody come and say, Pastor, I'm with you all the way to the end. You will be with me until I lay the demands of Jesus Christ on your life. And when we lay the demands of Jesus Christ on your life, then we will find out if you are really with us or not. Give the Lord worship in the house. So in this miracle, there is no demands. That's going to come in the Word. And these people are going to follow Jesus. They're going to be looking for Him for another miracle. They're going to be looking for Him to give them some more bread. All they're concerned about is their belly. When Jesus lays the Word on them, when He lays His demands on them, then they are going to leave Him. John 6, 66. Will you also go away? And the disciples said, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, he had a huge congregation. He had 5,000 people. And as long as he was working a miracle and feeding them bread, they were there with him. But when he started speaking the Word of God to them, they started leaving him. And Jesus looks at him and said, Will you also go away? And the disciples said, Where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You don't build a church on miracles. You don't build a church on a bread program. You build the church on the Word of God. 
It's going to take longer. I said it's going to take longer to build a church on the Word of God, but it's going to last. You build it on miracles. You build it on a bread program. There's a church down the street that's going to have a bigger bread program. You build it on personality. There's somebody going to come in your city that's going to have a better personality. Come on, somebody. You build it on clowns and you build it on programs. There's going to be somebody in that town that's going to have a better clown and a better program than you've got. But if you build it on the Word of God, then it will last. It will take longer, but it will last. Give God praise in this house. I know how to get numbers in a church. Uh, some of you might not think I know how to get numbers, but I know how to get numbers. All I got to do is start a bread program out right here tonight. All I got to do is start something up like that, you know, and we'll have a house full of people on a bread program. I am not building the kingdom of God like that. I'm going to build the kingdom of God on the word of God. And Jesus is going to correct them because they're following him for the miracles, not really even even the miracles. They're following him for the bread they can get in their belly. And Jesus is going to correct them for that. Give the Lord praise in the house. That's why John is going to move quickly over the miracles. And he's going to focus on the sayings of Jesus. Two miracles in this chapter and one dialogue of Jesus. Oh, both of those are signs. He's God come in the flesh. But the focus is going to be on the Word, not the miracle or the bread program. Give the Lord praise in the house. Jesus, I'm with you. Oh, really? How long are you with Him? You're with Him as long as He does it your way. As long as He fills your belly. As long as you get what you want. But when the Word and its demands are laid upon you, are you really with Him then? Give God praise in the house. I got people in here. Yeah, we with you. Oh, we're going to see how long you're with us. When we lay the Word of God and its demands on you, we're going to find out if you're really with us or not. Will you also go away? Oh, I can't. Thou hast the words of eternal life. The Word is what we need to build the church on. The Word is the focus in the chapter here. A fatal oversight. A fatal oversight, going after miracles, going after signs, going after bread to fill your belly. A fatal oversight is to oversight Jesus. That means to overlook Jesus. Not to believe in Him, not to obey Him is a fatal oversight. You can have an oversight, but when you overlook Jesus Christ and His Word, that's fatal. It will kill you. If you overlook Jesus Christ and His Word, you are going to die because that is a fatal oversight. You cannot oversee Jesus or His Word. It will be fatal to you. You said, I don't like you. I'm coming after you tonight. I'm trying to tell you the truth because I care about your soul tonight. Hallelujah to the Lamb. 
And I'm not really going to get into the all full teaching of what I just said until we get into the last part of the chapter. And I'm not going to preach the whole chapter. I'm just going to verse 35 and I'm done tonight. But I'm telling you tonight, the focus of Jesus will be His Word. Give the Lord praise in the house. Now, when this miracle of feeding of this 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes is completed, verse 12 says, when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments, fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Did you catch that? No, Jesus said, all right, the 5,000 has been fed. But because you disciples serve me, he said, I'm going to make sure you get paid. So you pick up a basket, disciple number one, all the way through to disciple number 12. Jesus makes sure his disciples are provided for. Those who labor in the gospel, those who dispense the bread, the word of God, Jesus makes sure that they are paid and they are paid well for what they've done. Let me tell you, my friend, you serve him faithfully. He will bless you. He'll make sure that you are taken care of. Give the Lord praise in the house do not commit a favor a fatal oversight oversight don't see Jesus don't give time to Jesus come on somebody give your life to him what you've got and God will multiply and make sure that you are taken care of God pays well he's not a cheapskate God pays well. I don't know if you like what I'm preaching. I don't care if you like it. I'm telling you it's Bible. It is Bible. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. He's like unto Moses. Because Moses said in Deuteronomy, he said, there's a prophet like unto me. God said to him, there's a prophet like you, Moses, that's coming into the world. He's going to do Moses-like miracles. Manna from heaven-like miracles. You want to just go home? I know this is hitting you, some of you in the heart. Some of you in the heart. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm not doing it. I'm not hitting you in the heart. God's Word is hitting you in the heart tonight. God has your number tonight. Some of you can shout and some of you can praise and some of you can worship because you live this way. The rest of you cannot shout. All you can do is sit there and look at me because you don't live this way. But I'm telling you, you can. You can, you can, you can. Give God praise in the house. So they said, for him to do what he did, he's the promised prophet of God that was like Moses in the Old Testament. In Moses' day, manna came down from heaven. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Oh, well, some of you looking at me right now. I really don't like you. What are you doing? You want to preach tonight? Uh, I got my mic ready. I got my mic ready. Big boy, big girl. You think you know how to do it. I'll hand you the mic and let's watch you go. Let me see you go. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give God praise in this house. I can't do what I'm doing tonight without an anointing. 
If you don't like me, if you're rising up in your spirit against me, you're coming up against the spirit of God and his word because it's not me that's speaking to you. It's God talking to you, honey child. Juicy fruit, honey buds, sugar plum. I'm coming right after you tonight. You'd be glad I've got restraint. I tell you, I used to, you sit there and look at me, I go lay hands on you. What's your problem? Jesus name. Now they start moving to the back. They start getting out of the front and moving to the back. Hallelujah. This boldness doesn't come from me. This is God's boldness. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So you better get with it. You better get with it. You better put it in the hands of God. You better trust Him. He will take care of you. Give the Lord worship in the house. They said, this, this one is doing this miracle. He's got to be that prophet. That's like Moses. That's connected to Passover. And connected to the Exodus. He must be the one that's going to bring the true exodus. Deliverance from man, from sin and destruction and darkness and devilish powers. He must be the one that is going to bring the true exodus. He must be the one that will fulfill the Passover and shed his blood for mankind. He must be greater than Moses. Moses was a picture of him. Here he is right now, they said. He's standing right here. It's got to be him. Give the Lord worship in the house. This is their response to what he said and to what he's doing. Their response. He's got to be that prophet. Say amen to the Lord. Woo, glory to God. And so, Jesus began to proceed. The Bible said in the next verse that they would come and take him by force and make him king. Say king. See, they wanted a man that would give them a bread program. They wanted a king that would overthrow the Roman government. So when they see him working a bread program, they said, we want him to be our king because he can supply bread for us. And we want him to be our king because he can overthrow Roman the Roman government. Jesus, when he proceeds, they want to make him king. He leaves them. And he goes up into a mountain. Why did he do that? You would think that if I was one of those disciples, I would say, hey, Jesus, look at this. 5,000 people. Look at this big congregation, Jesus. This is what you've been wanting. Isn't this what you want? Don't you want a huge congregation like this, Jesus? Come on, 5,000 members in your church. Jesus gets up and walks away and leaves them. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Jesus is not in it for the numbers. Jesus is letting you know if this is the kind of king they want, this is not the kind of king he will be. His kingdom will be a spiritual kingdom. The focus of his kingdom will be spiritual, not natural. He's letting them know, I'm not going to be that kind of king. I'm going to be a king that requires my subjects to obey my word. I will be a king that requires you to believe in me. Not what I did, not the miracle, but in me. That's what he's after. So he turns down their offer. He walks away from this huge congregation. Says, I don't want your offer. 
I don't want to be your king under these circumstances. He said, oh, he's, he's the king. He's going to let him know he is the king. But he's not going to be the king that they want him to be. Not under these circumstances. He's rejecting it outright. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. I tell you the truth when I say this. Unless God was in it, I would rather have a church this size who walks by faith and are spiritual than a 5,000 member church that's nothing but a bunch of devils. I tell you the truth. I lie not before you tonight. Hallelujah. Somebody said, Pastor, hey, we'll give you a church of 5,000 people. I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to be a pastor in those circumstances. Hallelujah. It's about God. It's about His spiritual kingdom. It's about obeying His word. It's about building a church on the word of God. And I'm telling you, people love to go to churches where they'll be made to feel good. And there's a bread program or a miracle or a sign that's taking place that they love to go to those kinds of churches. But where the Word of God lays its demands on you, there's not that many people there because they are people who have to be spiritual. Give the Lord worship in the house. Lord, I thank you for your anointing tonight. I praise you for your anointing tonight, God. And you're going to see it in this chapter. When he starts speaking the word to them, that 5,000 member congregation walks off and leaves him. Which lets me know they were not real. Hallelujah. I love you, Lord, tonight. I worship you tonight. They were not real. When the demands of His Word was put on them, they walked off and left Him. Give God praise in this house. So they wanted to make Him a king right there on the spot. Here's the mountain. Here's the bread. Here's the king. Let's set it up right now. Jesus said, no thank you. I don't want anything to do with it. Because it's not based on faith. You're not really believing in Him. You hear what I'm telling you tonight? Oh, y'all look at, some of y'all look at these churches, they got uh, maybe 25,000 in them. Big church. 5,000 in the crowd. Have no intention. Of obeying the Lord. They're there for one reason and one reason only. And that's to get their ears tickled. To get a miracle. And if it's not a miracle, to get a piece of bread. That's all they're there for. That's all they're interested in. They're not interested in serving Him. They're not interested in obeying Him. Give the Lord praise in the house. <laughs> now watch. So verse 15, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take Him by force to make Him king. Make him a king. He departed again into a mountain himself alone. He walked off and left that church. That congregation of 5,000. He left it. And he went off and he was alone. Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you tonight? Who among you has the ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you tonight? Do not hear with your natural ears only. Hear with the ear of the Spirit tonight. Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying unto you tonight?
He walked out on it. He left it. The Bible says he goes in the mountain. Now the scripture tells us in the 14th chapter of Matthew, and I don't have time to turn there. The Bible tells us in that incident, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus tells his disciples, commands them forcefully to get in a boat and to go to the other side. He stays behind. He goes up in a mountain to pray. Twelve miles from shore is where the mountain is located. They, after they are forcibly commanded by Jesus to get into the boat, they travel two miles out into the middle of the sea in 14 chapter Matthew. And all of a sudden a storm hits them. Jesus sees them in the storm 14 miles away. He's up in a mountain 12 miles from the seashore and they're two miles out from there. 14 miles away, He has the ability to see them in the darkness, in the storm, and in the wind because He's God. He knows everything. Say praise the Lord. This lets you know that in the church age there will be great darkness and great battle and great storms. There will come a time in your life where the tempest will come. The storm will rise. The darkness will enfold you. The waves will be getting in your boat. That's the church age. You're not in the kingdom age yet where you do not have storms. He's letting these disciples know that when you're in the church age, this is what you can expect. Storms and darkness and waves and tempests and, and the possibility of drowning and your boat being flipped. That's what the church is going to be like. And so in the 14th chapter, the Bible says Jesus makes his way and he walks on the water to them. And he gets Peter. Peter, uh, you want to walk on the water? Come out and walk on the water. Peter goes after him. He walks on the water for a little while. He falls down, you know, goes down in the water. Anyway, Jesus picks him up and they enter into the ship. The Bible says, are you here? And the storm quiet. And in Matthew 14, I believe it's verse 34, it tells us that they are located at the Gennesaret. So, at that particular incident, after the feet of the 5,000, they are blown off course. And Jesus has told them forcefully to get in the boat to go to the other side. The storm comes, blows them off course. They go from Tiberias up to the Gennesaret. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. Read Matthew 14. You'll see what I'm telling you the truth. Blown off course to the Gennesaret. Jesus has walked on the water. You know what kind of miracle that is? Number one, that he could see them 14 miles away. Number two, that he could walk on the water and gravity, the law of gravity would be suspended. So that gravity's not pulling him down, gravity's pushing him up. And scientists will tell you there are six in holes and six out holes of this universe where there is zero gravity. They never move. Let me say it again. Scientists will tell you there are a total of 12 locations on this earth that have zero gravity. They're called in holes or entry holes and they are called exit holes out of this universe and into this universe. But they don't move. 
Jesus is walking on water. There's zero gravity. And it's not in one place. He's moving. So not only could he see them in the storm, he walked on the water and suspended natural gravity. Miracle number two. Are y'all here tonight? Give the Lord praise in the house. Get in the boat, storm, storm comes, they go to the Gennesaret. But I want you to see in this passage, it is not the Gennesaret that they end up at. It, as, it is Capernaum. So within two days, Jesus walks on the water after the feeding of the 5,000. Are y'all here tonight? Do you care? Do you care? Do you care? The Bible says, and watch this, verse 16, when even was now coming, the disciples went down to the sea. This time, at this place, they are in the Gennesaret. Matthew 14, 34. And Jesus doesn't tell them to go. In this passage, they take it upon themselves to go down to the sea. They take it upon themselves that Jesus wants them to go to Capernaum. Jesus didn't tell them to go to Capernaum. He didn't tell them to go and get in the boat at this time. Okay? Watch this. All of a sudden, while they're in the little boat, storm number two hits them again. They've already seen Jesus walk on the water one time. They thought he was dead because dead sailors were believed to appear to people who were about to drown at sea. They thought when they saw Jesus that they saw a ghost. They saw a, a water demon or a water ghost or the spirit of a sailor who had died before coming to them and warning them, you're fixing to drown. And when they saw Jesus walking on the water, they thought he had drowned trying to get to him and that he's telling them, you're fixing to die, disciples. That wasn't the case. He gets in the boat, the water calms, they go to the Gennesaret. Now, uh, a, a couple of days later, we see this miracle. The disciples on their own get in the boat from Gennesaret and they are going to enter into a boat again. And Jesus is going to walk on the water again in the midst of a storm. Are y'all here tonight? But this time, there's no Peter walking on the water. This time, it's not to Gennesaret they're going, they're going to Capernaum. And the disciples are taking it on themselves to do it. The first time, after the feeding of the 5,000, he walked on the water, it blew their mind. This is really going to blow their mind. That this Jesus can not only do it one time, but he can do it two times in a matter of two days. If the first time they saw him walking on the water, if that blew their mind, the second time really blew their mind. How can this man do it one time? But he doesn't just do it one time. He does it twice. And this time, when he gets in the boat, come on, the water didn't just calm down. This time when he gets in the boat, he travels from where they are in the water straight to the shore of Capernaum. Instantly. It was instant transportation. In a micro millionth of a second, he was there. They were in a storm. He walks on the water. He gets in the boat. They're at Capernaum. Hear the Lord praise in the house. So not only is it suspending of nature here, but also instant transportation. 
glory of God. Oh, he's got to be God to do that. That is what this writer's letting you know. He's got to be God to create bread. He's got to be God to walk on water. He's got to be God in order to transport people in a micro millionth of a second from one point to another. Instant transportation. Look at Psalm 77. Psalm 77, who is this man in the midst of him? Psalm 77, turn there please. Verse 19, look at it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you tonight, God. I need you. I needed you. I need you. I need you. Are you with me now? Give the Lord worship. Look at 19. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He's talking, they're talking about God. Say, God, give the Lord praise in the house tonight. Look at verse 16. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. When Jesus is walking on the water, the waters saw thee, O God. And the waters were afraid. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Nature was suspended there. Give the Lord worship in the house. Woo! Glory to God. The water saw thee, O God. The water saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. Look at Psalm 107. Talking about God and the waters. Yes. 107. Verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in the great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro, stagger like a drunken man, and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. Oh, hallelujah. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Oh, I love him right now. They Then are they glad because they are to be... Then are they glad because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. This is the God that brought Israel out of Egypt on a Passover. This is the God who brought them to the Red Sea, and the waters saw the old God, and the waters were afraid. Hallelujah to the Lamb. He's the one that raised the waves. He's the one that brought the storm. When those disciples got in that boat, it was Jesus that created the storm. It was Jesus that raised the waves. It was Jesus that did it. He created the storm so they would get a revelation. He's God. Look at him. Look at him. He's God. He's God. He's more than a man. He's God. Give the Lord praise in the house. No matter two days, they saw him walk on the water. 
Matthew 14, he walked on the water when they were blown off course uh, from Tiberias over to the Gennesaret. And then from the Gennesaret to the Capernaum here in this chapter, they are blown off course. But Jesus takes it under control. He is God. And he brings them safe to shore. He is like the God of the Old Testament who heard his people cry in distress in bondage in Egypt. And when they cried to him in their distress, God heard them and delivered them. And these disciples were in the sea and they cry in their distress and God hears them and delivers them just like He did in the time of the Passover. He is greater than Moses. He's greater than the Passover. He is the God who the sea is afraid of. He's the God who created the sea-buried herbs. He's the God that created the fruit trees. He's the God who created the substance he is standing right there in front of them give the Lord worship in the house oh I feel him tonight I feel him tonight he's here tonight in this house oh what a great and awesome God he is there's nobody like Jesus he is equal to God None less than God come in flesh. And so now, Jesus said, I won't be your king under these circumstances. Though you are sign seekers and you are looking for bread. He said, I'm sending my disciples away from that kind of ministry. He said, the kind of ministry I will set up is spiritual and will be based on the word. Give the Lord worship in the house. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Oh, God, have mercy on the unbelief in this house. God, have mercy on those tonight that are full of unbelief and corner. God, have mercy on us. Help us, Lord, to believe your word tonight. He is none less than God. The Bible says, I'll read it to you. They entered into a ship and went over the sea toward where? Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. He created the wind. So when they had roared about five and twenty and thirty furlongs, they seen Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. And they were afraid. He's walking on what they're afraid of. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. That English word there, it is I, if you take it back to the original language, it's the same thing as saying, I am. I am. I'm the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. I'm the same God that appeared to Moses in the Old Testament. He's not a different God. He's not another God. He's the same God that appeared to Moses. And Moses said, who do I say is sending me to them? And God said, tell him I am that I am is sending you. Tell him Yahweh, the eternal God, the self-existent one. He's the one that's sending. And so Jesus, when he makes his way to them, he says, in their English, he says, it is I. Be not afraid. But what he just said was, I am. I'm the one who appeared to Moses in the Old Testament. I'm the same God. I'm not a different one. I'm the same one. Give the Lord worship in the house. What's wrong with some of you? 
Something is not right. I discern something's wrong in some of you tonight. Oh, hallelujah. I tell you what it is. It's prayerlessness. If we'll start praying, we'll start moving in the spirit. I had a pastor friend call me from loving New Mexico this today. He doesn't call me very often. He called me today. He said, Brother Carter, he said, the Lord has moved on me to have my church go through a 10-day revival, not of preaching, but of prayer. 10 days of prayer. He said, we've already seen breakthroughs because of 10 days of prayer. Are y'all with me? He said, we've already gone through five of them. He said, prayer, prayer, prayer. I said, brother, God told us at the beginning of the year, to tell the church to pray that there's going to be great trial. Come on. Great test that's going to hit this house. And if you're not praying, you will not make it. And so he said, really? I said, yeah. That's what God told us. That we must be praying. We must be seeking God. If you are not able to overcome tonight, it is because you are not praying like you're supposed to pray. He said, Brother Carver, he said, he said, I got a question for you. He said, in the midst of this prayer time, he said, I had a vision. He said, can you explain to me what I saw? He said, I saw Jesus Christ come and put a mantle on me. He said, can you explain this to me? I said, well, brother, I said, all I can tell you is I know that mantles represent authority. I said, there are many people who are anointed, but they're naked. They don't have authority. It's one thing to be anointed to preach. It's one thing to be anointed in your life. But when you get a mantle, then you have authority. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Give the Lord praise in the house. And I told him, I told him, I said, remember Saul. Saul got in the presence of an anointed ministry. He got in the presence of prophets and he tore his clothes off and he started prophesying. I said, he's a picture of a man who's anointed, but he's naked. He's not under authority. And because he's not under authority, he doesn't have authority. You can be anointed, but naked. And I said, what you saw, if that is a mantle, if what you're telling me is a mantle, is you see authority being placed on you if that was from God. That you're not just anointed and naked, but you're a man of authority. Evidently, evidently, he has learned to walk under authority. He said, we're seeing it. We're seeing things break that didn't break before. He said, I, he said, I've been working in this place, he said, for several months. My boss just recently asked me questions about uh, salvation. He said, that's never happened in the time I've been there. It never has happened. He said, prayer is causing the doors to open. I, I, I had to just, if you, uh, if you will, I had to just kind of get off what I was preaching because I discerned prayerlessness. You got to get in prayer. If you don't, you will make the craziest decisions. You will be bananas in what you do. You have to be led by the Spirit. Oh, praise God. So I thank God for the authority. Oh God, in Jesus' name, send a revival to loving New Mexico that'll make the headlines of that city. Jesus, send a miracle. Let the word go forth with power and authority. In Jesus' name. I believe it. I believe it. Wake up, O thou that sleepest. Wake up, O sleeper. Wake up, O sleeper. I'm not pointing finger at you. I need to pray more as well. 
I was in my office. I feel, you know, I should have spent more time in prayer, obviously, before I came out here tonight. I was in my office. I saw somebody walk through the door right before church started. They didn't put forth one little effort to even make it to the prayer room. I heard their voice out here. All they were doing was talking to somebody in the church. Didn't talk to God before they came out here. I'm sitting there thinking, no wonder you don't have faith. No wonder you're where you are. You don't have faith. You, you can't even get off the pew. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give God some praise in this house. Your flesh is going to run rampant with you. Demon powers are going to have their way with you. You are in a battle, my friend. There is a storm. But if you think it's God, I hear the Holy Ghost speaking tonight to tell you this storm is not of the devil. This storm is of God. That you might believe His Word. That you might pray. That you might get spiritual. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I know I get, I get animated. Well, what about you? You're so dramatic, Pastor. You get so animated. Brother Edmund said, he said, kind of reminds me of Billy Sunday. He said, Billy Sunday was a dramatic preacher. He said, he kicked his leg. They're talking about it, you know. I say, you know, brother, there's things, there's things that you do that I, I pick up and I do. I move my hand a certain way, do a certain thing. He said, we all do that. My wife said, well, what have you picked up? That, according to me, what have you picked up that he does? He said, I get that finger going. <laughs> we all do that. Hallelujah. I'm gonna have to look up Billy Sunday. Let's see. He's a dramatic preacher. <laughs> That's what Brother Evans told me. I don't know. Praise the Lord. Anyway, say, God bless your heart. Say, God bless your heart. Say, praise the Lord. Say, in Jesus' name. Say, I feel better now than I did when I first got here. When I first got here, I didn't know if I was going to make it another day. I feel much better since I got here. Because Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in my boat. Let me tell you something, every one of you tonight, if you'll get Jesus in your boat, it'll be the greatest day of your life. I'm glad I got Jesus in my boat. 30, 30 years ago, I got Jesus in my boat. I'm glad I got him in my boat. He's still in my boat. He's still in my boat. He's still in my boat. I got Jesus in my boat. Lord Jesus. I rebuke the enemy right now. No. God is creating this storm that you might know He's God. That you might get a revelation that you need Jesus. That you might get a revelation of how much you really need Him. You need Him in your boat I need Jesus in my boat tonight. 
I'm dead in the water without Jesus in my boat. I'm dead in life without Jesus in my boat. I'm dead in the water. And God raised the waves. Two times. Not once. Two times. To let him know it wasn't just something that happens. He can do it anytime he wants to. Give the Lord praise. How many of you know you need Jesus? Pastor, there was a time where I was oriented. It seemed like I had it together. I couldn't put my, my finger on something. I was doing all right. It seemed like Man, the storms are so great, I'm disoriented, I'm tossed to and fro. What's going on, Pastor? There's a devil trying to kill me. I say God's raising the waves, so you get a revelation of his godness, but not only a revelation of who he is, but how much you need him in your life. And until you get in a desperate situation, that's why some of you come to church. Oh, yeah. You wait till God lifts the waist. You'll turn that pedal into a propeller. If it's a single oar, you're going to make two oars. You get a rope and tie them together. Some of you come to church, you know, like you're on vacation. And God says, and then you got to roll for your life, honey. And that's where it's coming. I, I speak this word to you. That's where it's coming. You are not going to be able to roll softly. God is going to raise a storm up in your life and in my life, and He's already begun to do it. That I'm going to have to know I need Jesus in my boat right now. And when he's not in my boat, that's when I have the problems and the storms in my life. Get in the boat, Jesus. Calm the waves. Get in the boat, Jesus. And make a quick transportation from here to there. I need him in my boat. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm calming down now. Let me just say this to you. So you say, well, if I ever get Jesus in my boat, I'm sure not going to act like you. That's what you say. I remember the first time I went in the spirit field Pentecostal church. I said, I'll never act like these people. When they look at me, they say, we don't know him. Not the way he acts. You say, I wouldn't act like that. You get God in your boat. It'll be the best thing you've ever done in your life. You might have storms and the Lord raises up the storm, but He's still in control of the storm and He walks on what you fear. He walks on your storm. And when He gets in the boat, the storm ceases. Give God praise in the house. This is what you can expect in the church is darkness and storms and waves. You're not in the kingdom age yet. You're not in heaven yet. There's some people in this church tonight they would have you think 
that when they got in the church, that's where that's when their trouble began. When I got in the church, that's when I started having my problems. Like before you got in the church, you didn't have any. And when you when you got in the church, that's when you started having your problems. You have such a short memory. And you're not yet thirty you're not yet thirty years old. And you can't remember a year ago. So I want to go back to the world because I didn't have any trouble before I got in the church. Oh really? No, you got short term memory. I need Jesus in my throat. <laughs> Hallelujah to the Lamb. But he said, let me decide. You know how to pray. Don't be afraid. Got under control. Then they willingly received him into the ship. Look at that. Say, willingly received him into the ship. If you don't receive him into the ship, you know what he's going to do? He's going to keep walking right by you. He's not going to get in the ship, not going to get in your boat, unless you willingly receive him. Jesus Christ will not force himself into your boat. You have to willingly receive him into your ship. Give the Lord praise in the house. And if you want to keep living in the storm, and he created it. So you see your need. You want to keep living in the storm, let him walk by your boat. Come on, Jesus. I need you in my boat tonight. Give the Lord praise in the house. And I got out of that storm. And then a, another one, right after that. I needed him both times. Amen. He's there. Say, so he's there. <laughs> now watch, I'm going to close. But he, okay. he said, it is I, be not afraid. I am that eternal God. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at land. Immediately the ship was at land where they went. Immediately. He went straight to Capernaum. Immediately. The day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save the one where intended disciples were entered, that Jesus went not with the disciples in the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. How be it? There came other boats from Tiberias now into the place where they did eat bread after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people thereof saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took ship, shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side, Jesus is going to always be on the other side of you. Of your story. Listen, church. Listen, every one of you here tonight. Jesus is always going to be waiting on the other side of your storm. He'll get you through the storm, and he's going to be waiting for you on the other side of the storm. Don't you quit, Jesus. Don't you quit, God, in a time of storm. He's waiting on the other side of your storm. He's already there. He knew what he would do. It's blowing these people's mind. How in the world did Jesus get over here? We didn't see him get in the boat with the disciples. And how did he get over here? He walked it on the water. He's a water walker. And if you're going to walk on water, the only way you can is if God gives you the power to walk on water.
When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, Master Teacher, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, or truly, 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 truly. I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were feeding. He said, The only reason why you follow me over here is because you want your belly full. You want some more bread. Because in the miracle of the bread and fishes and the miracle of him walking on the water, there were no demands. And people love miracles with no demands. Jesus said, you came over here. You followed me over here. And because you did eat of the loaves and were filled, labor not for the meat which perisheth but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. He said, I'm that true bread that came down from heaven. I'm the true bread that will give you eternal life, not just natural life. By his shed blood as the Passover lamb, he will give you eternal life. He said, that's what you need is to obey me. What you need is my word. What you need is me in, my, in your life. That's what you need. You need an exodus in your life. Out of darkness, sin, Satan. You need a mass exodus. You need to come out of it. You need a Passover land, Jesus Christ. He says, Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth in that an everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? He was saying, Tell us. How we can work the works of God. See, there's some people who think they can work for their salvation. Work for God. I don't work in a sense, I don't work for God. I work at keeping myself in a position where God can work through me. I work for God, believing Him. I work for see everyone of you here tonight. You say I work for God. Really? How do you do that? By believing. Therefore, you are working at keeping yourself in a place where God can use you. That's the battle. That's the battle for everyone of you here. That's the battle for me tonight. To be able to be used when I stand behind this pulpit. I have to have in my life a working. That positions me. In a place where I can be used by God. You hear what I'm telling you? Some of y'all quit the fight. You, you, you quit the fight. You know what you did? You said I don't have to work for God. I'm saved by grace. Yeah, you're saved by grace. You don't work for salvation, but you must work at being usable. I must work at being usable. I 
got to keep my spirit right. I've got to stay prayed up. i got to stay full of the Holy Ghost. I can't let my flesh run rampant. I've got to stay in a place where I can be usable. That's where the work is. I labor to enter into his rest. Did you hear what he said? Labor not for the meekness perishing. If you're not careful, you're going to get so busy and working, trying to make a living, that you have a fatal oversight. You are going to oversight Jesus. You're going to miss him. If you just keep yourself in a position, God will work through you and God will work for you and he can do more for you in one day than you can do in a year. Yes, Lord, I love you tonight. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Don't get carnal, fleshly. Keep yourself in the love of God. I gotta keep coming to church. Gotta keep hearing the word of God. Gotta keep praying. I'm not worried about dying and going to hell. I'm concerned that if I stand behind this pulpit, there's no anointing there. I'm concerned I can't be used by God anymore. I'm concerned I can't win a soul. That's what I'm concerned about. So I gotta stay. I gotta work at being usable. I gotta work at Staying in a place where God can work through me. Believing on Him. That He has sent. Verse 30. I'm almost done. They said therefore unto Him. What sign showest thou of Him? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Look at the response of these people. He's already worked a miracle. Fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Walk on the water two times in two days. And they say, what sign show us? Now, what sign do you show us that we can believe? You've got to be kidding me. You're telling me you have to have another miracle, another sign to believe. No, what you want is bread in your belly. That's what you want. You want me to multiply the bread again. You want me to multiply the fishes again. Because you want bread in your belly. Not that you would believe on me. You have no intention. Of believing on him. Or obeying him. Sign seekers. That's why I tell you. That's why I tell you. I'm going to let you go in the next few hours. That's why I tell you. If you build a church on signs and miracles, there's going to be a church down the street that's going to have more of them. You build a church on a bread program, there's a church in town that's going to have a better bread program. You have to build it on the Word of God. I don't care how many numbers are here. I'll build it on the Word of God. I, you know me, I've been preaching for 17 years to this church, and I've never changed my method. I'll stand behind this pulpit and preach the Word, preach the Word, preach the Word, preach the Word. I've never changed that method. And I'm not going to. Because you have to build the kingdom of God. On the word. You need the word in your life. Now watch. Listen. Okay. I'm, I'm, they said therefore unto him. See he said something to them. 
Now we have their response to him, what they said to him, their reaction to him. They said, therefore, unto him, what sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Going back to Moses. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. He's letting them know I'm the same God that reigned man in the wilderness. I'm the same God, the Old Testament. That spoke to Moses in the burning bush and said, I am that I am. I'm the same God that provided the Passover land to bring them out of that darkness and bondage by the blood. He said, I'm that same God standing in front of you right now. He says, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Did you notice what he said? He said, for I say unto you, He didn't say the word of the Lord came to me. All through the prophets, the, the prophet said the word of the Lord came to me. But Jesus didn't say the word of the Lord came to me. He said, I say unto you, because he is God. The word doesn't come to him. He is the word, and he's speaking the word. He is, this is another proof that he's God. I say unto you. I'm, speak, I'm, fixing to, I'm fixing to take you into word living. I'm going to move quickly through the signs and miracles and I'm going to focus on the word. Spiritual things. Because the natural precedes the spiritual. The natural man. Moses. The Passover in the Old Testament. Those natural things were teaching you spiritual truth. They weren't given to you the natural to lead you into the natural. They were given to you to lead you into the spirit. And the miracle that he just did is not to give you natural bread, but to point you to the spiritual bread from heaven, which is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah to the Lamb. In closing, verse 35, as far as I read, Jesus said unto them, I am. I am. Now, I'm going to have to verify this, and I'm going to take my time to do it, God willing, next week. But I believe there are 12 I am's in the book of John. And if I'm wrong, I'll correct it, but I think there's 12. And this is the first one. Literally translated, I am. He's letting them know Yahweh is standing right in front of you. The God who met Moses in the burning bush. I am that I am is here right now. I am. And then I am the bread. And he'll say, I am the light. Come on. And they'll say, I am the door. And they'll say, I'm the good shepherd. He's letting them know, Yahweh, door. Yahweh, bread. Yahweh, light. Yahweh, shepherd. John, tell them, God is come among men. And when the eternal spirit makes reference to the humanity, he calls it son. 
And when the Son makes reference to the eternal Spirit of God that was in Him, He says, Father. And so now we know He is the I Am. Amen? Amen. I am, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. What you wanted was the natural bread to fill your bellies. And because there was no demands in those miracles, you went after the miracle. He said, but I'm fixing to give you the word. And when I give you the word, it will determine whether you're really with God or not. Are you really with him tonight? How many of you know you need him in your boat? Lord, I give you praise tonight. I give you glory tonight. I give you honor.